This week, every news media has been reporting death of Queen Elizabeth II and discussing her legacy. Some say she was an epitome of duty and patriotism. Others say she should be the last English monarch or colonial queen, and English taxpayers shouldn't support their royal family financially anymore. Personally, I don't care any royal family, except the true royal family, that is the eternal family of Almighty God. And I want everyone to know for sure, if you're a child of God, you can have a more glorious legacy than Elizabeth II. Amen? So, let me ask you, what would you like to see on your tombstone? What would you like to, you know, what would you other people to remember about your life? Somehow, you know, if they summarize your life on your epitaph, what would you like to see? Uh, for that, I found uh, some ep interesting epitaph, and I want to share with you. And uh, I hope some of them are not yours. First one, I was uh, hoping for a pyramid. So he must die very uh, unaccomplished. Next one, he loved bacon. Oh, and his wife and his kid. I think that's a, I picked that one, warning to some of you. You know, you, especially people, you know, men in the 40s. You need to watch out what you eat. And here lies Henry Blake. Uh, he stepped on the gas instead of the brake. I think, uh, you know, as a father who taught three daughters how to drive, I want to, you know, remind you. Yeah, you need to know which pedal to. Oh, this is a heartwarming one. Raise four beautiful daughters with, a on, with a, only one bathroom. And still, there was a love. This, I raised three daughters. And one time, we had only, no, we always had two bathrooms. So. But, uh, you know, girls use a bathroom a long time. So I feel that father. Anyway. And the last one. <laughs> I don't want none of us have. This is in your epitaph or your tombstone. This is an unprepared death. Now, all kidding aside, let me tell you the best Eulogy on the tombstone that actually I found in the Bible. That comes from Acts chapter 13, 36. It's a one verse. So we're going to read together on count of three. One, two, three. Now when David has served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried, and his ancestors and his body decayed. It is my hope and prayer that a tombstone of everyone in forest and here today has these eight words in your epitaph. David served God's purpose in his own generation. So, you know, instead of David, I want you to put your name in there and read loud one more time. And I want you to feel for it. Okay, and once again, count three. Put your name. Put your name. One, two, three. Paul Kim served God's purpose in his own generation. Amen. Do you like it? It is my prayer that we all live and die with this statement. And my goal as a pastor is you live according to this statement. You know, Acts 13.36 came from Apostle Paul's 
review of the history of Israel. He told the Jews and Gentiles at the synagogue of Pisidian Antioch in, during his first missionary journey. There, he was telling them how Messiah came David's bloodline or family line. And here, Apostle Paul succinctly captured legacy of David, King David, thousand years later, after his lifetime. And he said, David served God's purpose in his generation, own generation. And on our seventh year anniversary, I want us to examine our own life with three keys, key words from this great legacy of David and rededicate our life to God's purpose. So three keys that we're going to reflect today is the God's purpose, served, and his own generation. So first and foremost significance of David's legacy is that his life was focused on God's purpose. David lived his life after God's purpose more than anything else. Driving force of David's life was God and God's heart. Earlier in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, said this, After removing Saul, God made David their king, and God testified concerning David that I have found David, son of Jesse, a man. After my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. For David, God's purpose was his utmost pleasure, and God's will was his way. How about us? Do we live our life according to God's purpose or my purpose? Can you state your purpose in life in one you know, simple sentence? You know, many people today live without the purpose of a life, you know, let alone God's purpose. So let me illustrate that. Do you know the most successful sitcom of all time, so-called the goat of all sitcom? According to media expert, that's a Seinfeld. Seinfeld was aired for nine years from 1989 to 1998 with 180 episodes. Up to last year, Seinfeld generated $3 billion in profit. So, so many university drama departments investigate the secret of a Seinfeld success and try to analyze why it was immensely successful. And then after all the research, they concluded the reason Seinfeld was immensely successful was because it's a fundamentally plotless programming. Plotless programming moving from situation to situation without any central plot or theme. This sitcom of all times is essentially all about meandering, much, much ado about nothing. So once again, they, you know, the experts say, why do people watch this kind of a meandering, plotless drama so much? And conclusion of the study was, Plotless people love this uh, plotless drama. That was their conclusion. Plotless people love the plotless drama. Seinfeld essentially made a strong appeal to emptiness of uh, lives of uh, many people. And the success of uh, Seinfeld exposes the purposeless life of uh, many Americans. 
and we do have many purposeless people, people living from one vacation to uh, one weekend to another weekend, one vacation to another vacation, one Netflix in a binge to another, one football season to another. I'm not against uh, all the leisure activities, but it's a leisure is the only meaning or main driving force over your life, I think is a tragedy. Watching Seinfeld is fun because it's a comedy, but if your life is a plotless, purposeless, like a Seinfeld, it's no longer comedy, it's a tragedy. You know, Rick Warren, pastor of a Saddleback Church in his bestseller, Purpose Driven Life, said that people live after one of the three things, pleasures, power, and purposes. Uh, Pleasure-driven life is so-called uh, YOLO, YOLO lifestyle. You know, YOLO. You only live once. Therefore, eat, drink, be married, for tomorrow we die. You know, like all uh, the Greek Epicurean philosophy, their life purpose is to maximize pleasure. And like a modern utilitarian philosophy, it's all about maximum gain at the minimum cost as many Americans are addicted to the deals, great deals. And number two is a power-driven life. It's obsessed with the control and security. You know, you can't stand any vulnerability or instability. instability. Typical immigrant mindset in America is close to this success or security-driven lifestyle. They think a chasing American dream is a purpose of life. You know, I used to be in Silicon Valley, you know, I, and that uh, actually one of our early Zoom uh, people is Yoon and Youngju. They are from the Silicon Valley. And uh, after today's message, Youngju said, Pastor Paul, I know what you're talking about. I'm living in the place where people say, you know, people are, are contaminated, infected with the affluenza, affluenza, not influenza, affluenza, you know, that the sickness for death. I mean, sickness for wealth and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, addiction to wealth problem. Many of their friends are wealthy but not fulfilled. Still feel empty. Finally, there is a purpose-driven life. What is a purpose-driven life? In order to know purpose-driven life, you need to know the purpose. And in order to know our purpose, you need to know God first. You have to start with God. And the first in you know, a paragraph of a purpose-driven life that uh, hit me hard was this. Life is not about you. The purpose of uh, your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, even your own happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, and your wildest dream or ambitions. If you want to know why you are placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You are born by His purpose, and for his purpose. We didn't create the universe and we didn't come to earth with our own agenda. You are placed here, according to the Bible, Almighty God, who created the heavens and earth and made you in his image fearfully and wonderfully. So our purpose comes from our creator. You know, in my kitchen, I have appliances like a refrigerator and oven. They did not pick and choose their purposes. I did. I bought them. And so none of my you know, ovens said, oh, it's so hot in the summer and I don't want to work during the summer. Call me back in the winter. Or my refrigerator 
wouldn't tell me that, hey, for the just a change, can I cook instead of cooling off the stuff? If they, of course, it's appliance. I know, they don't speak. If they do that, either I repair or I replace. We have to recognize, as Rick Warren said, that you were made by God and for God and until you understand the basic fundamental fact, your life will never make a sense. Your life will never make sense. And I want to say very clearly about God's purpose. You know, God's purpose that David served actually means God's pleasure. It's a pleasure. God's purpose is not some kind of, you know, God is not a task, you know, master, or he's giving us some kind of a, a, a order against our will. You have to know Whenever God gives his will or purpose, it's always he gives us a motivation and desire. Look at the Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. Our God is God of love. When he called us to do his work or fulfill his purpose, he gives us his love desire, and his ability and gift to do it. So, if you claim to be, I want to, praise, I want, I want to be in praise ministry, and you are not a good singer, I'm sorry, God didn't call you into praise ministry. You can praise God in your own, but you are not into praise ministry, okay? Whatever God calls, always equipped. You know, I never imagined that I would be a pastor, let alone being a Christian. Every time I go to, you know, Korea, my relatives say, what do you do? They already know what I do. They ask the question just to, you know, look at me up and down, you know. And I totally understand. At one point, first time actually when a pastor, our dinner guests, you know, praying for the meal, all of, this, all of a sudden this pastor, out of blue, nobody asked. You know, usually pastors come to a nice dinner. They pray for health and the blessing, God's blessing on their business and stuff like that, right? Out of blue, nobody asks these pastors that pray that are all called to, you know, become a servant of God and the serving God and all this. At the time, my dream was go to America, get a PhD in economics and change the whatever. At least I can be a Christian millionaire. And he was praying for me to be a pastor. I totally lost my appetite. I said, who does he think, you know, he is or I am? I'm going to be puny pastor, you know. Now, more than anything, I am grateful. I'm so grateful that I'm a pastor. My mom always said, your brother should be pastor, you should be the businessman. She's right, but I still would not trade my place with my brother. Because being a pastor taught me a lot about God's love. And if you think, you know, how, who, you know, how can you be a pastor? How can you whatever? Look at me. You don't know me. You can ask my wife or, you know, yeah, my wife knows me better. 
I am total rotten sinner without grace of God. And uh, by grace of God, I am what I am. And I'm a pastor. And I will never, you know, if I, I mean, of course, we don't believe in reincarnation. But if I live again, I want to be pastor again. Maybe this time well prepared from the beginning. Now, let me move on quickly to the, uh, 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 the second point, second or serve. You know, kings do not serve. Kings are usually served. Did you guys see here the, the, the most recent news about the new king of England, Charles III? About his, uh, you know, this, you know, media kind of uh, uh, flip that uh, when he was signing first document as a king of England, because his mama died, right? And uh, it was a small desk, oversized paper, and there was a tray of, uh, you know, uh, uh, signing pens. And he felt a little bit uncomfortable. So he cringed his face and he hissed it and he said, and it was captured on the video. Good luck, Charles you know, III. I think he can be the last king of England. Kings, they like to be served. They don't serve. But today, David served. Because David knew there is a higher authority than his. Even though he's a king of Israel, he's a nothing but a sheep to God. Even though he's leading his country, the real shepherd of Israel is God. You know, that's why David served God. And then, you know, some people that I found, they like to serve God, but they like to serve God in an advisory position. You know, people want to serve God, but like uh, advisors, you know. David did not just admire and respect and study God's purpose. He served it, God's purpose wholeheartedly. The Greek word for serve, uh, serve there are many words, but may, the, the primary word is the diakoneo. And uh, dia, from diakoneo, we have an English word, deacon, diakoneo. Deacon, being a deacon means serving. And dia, I like a diakoneo because it's a compound word. Dia means through. Koneo is from konos, which means a dirt. Through the dirt. Someone who serves you so fast that it's like a spirit Gonzalez. There is a you know, cloud of dust after you know, whatever he served. You know? It's like my third child, third daughter, my favorite third daughter. You know? she, whenever I ask, she goes fast. You know? Not the first and second, but the third one. She is a, my, my favorite third daughter. Anyway, so they are, they are corners, and they used in the New Testament 37 times. Paul didn't use this word. When he said that David served God's purpose, he used an unusual word, the upereteo, uh, which he used only three times in the New Testament, and there's a compound word, urepeteo uh, means upo and ereteo. Upo is under. Eretheo is a rowing. Literally, it's an under-rower. Under-rower. We are talking about slave of slave. You know, slave who are rowing the ship behind the scene. Nobody knows their name and even their face. But because of them, ship is going. They are under-rowers. And I'm really touched by this term, under-rowers. 
David underworld God's purpose. David underserved, served behind the scene. Richard Foster, well-known evangelical writer, once again, his book, Celebration, Discipline, he said this. There are two kinds of service, self-righteous service and true service. And self-righteous service comes from human effort. True service comes from relationship with the Lord deep inside. Self-righteous service is impressed with a big deal. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish the small from the large service. That's the difference between true service and false or self-righteous service. If you wonder, you know, if you want to distinguish these two, he actually enlisted in a several in a contrast. One, self-righteous service requires external reward. True service rests contented in hiddenness. Self-righteous service picks and chooses who to serve, but true serve is indiscriminate in its ministry. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. It's, I feel like the parents, right? Parents, it doesn't matter. Whenever a kid is in need, you just serve. And finally, self-righteous service is temporary, and true service is a lifestyle. I want to add one more. Self-righteous service actually fractures community and the church. Whereas a true service, they are the one who builds the community and the church. And on this day of our seventh-day anniversary, I want to recognize all those underworlds of a forest. I thank you on behalf of our entire congregation, and I pray God richly bless you. Even though we don't see how much, I mean, costly and sacrificially you are serving your house church as a shepherd and co-shepherd, and some of you serving your children's ministry and youth ministry in a studying, preparing the lessons, God will reward you. God will reward you. And we thank you. And finally, let me move on to the last word, that is his own generation. You know, David served God's purpose in his own generation. And if you think about David's time, it was not an easy time. David was called by God when Israel was going through a critical transition from period of judges to the monarchy. And the first king of Israel and the David's boss, Saul, was a horrible, horrible failure. You know, I would not hesitate to call a Saul man against God's heart because he loved himself more than, you know, more than God or anything. You know, actually, Saul, difference between Saul and David, Saul used God for his own, himself, while David used himself for God. So when David became a king, do you remember? Philistine was bullying Israel, always invading them, taking their harvest and stuff like that. And Israel was divided. David fought the independence of his nation, secured his nation, and much more. He united his nation. He got a new capital in Jerusalem. Why? He got the city of peace to make Israel not just a very humongous, powerful nation, but a holy nation of God. David's dream was to make Israel a holy nation by bringing an ark of God to Jerusalem. 
Do you remember? I mean, you know, do you remember time that David couldn't sleep because he wanted to build the temple of God? David said, how come I'm in the palace and the God's, you know, ark is still in the tent? This is not right. I should be in the tent and God's ark should be in this palace. David tried to really make God known in his generation. We call it first temple of Israel, temple of Solomon, but we all know, those who read the Bible, we know Solomon just built all the materials that David prepared. David is the one who prized. Solomon just got the name. We, I think, also have a serious work cut out for our generation. Forty years ago, when I came to the United States of America as a foreign student, I never imagined that we would be where we are today. You know, what I read in the history, I was a history major. What happened to in Germany in 1920s and 1930s is happening to America since 2015. What Germans called their German national Christian, you know, uh, German national, uh, German Christian national socialist movement, Nazism, Americans now call the Christian nationalism. I'm telling you, there's nothing Christian about nationalism. Christian nationalism, Christian and nationalism, they don't go together. We are not nationalists. Our allegiance is the kingdom of God. As Paul said, our citizenship is above. We are patriot. I think uh, our generation, I mean, uh, my children, your generation, many of you, and the future generation, is a really, our country is in a critical juncture. And the people say, everyone is affected with a, basically about 25, I mean, about, uh, you are effective to people, uh, you can relate to people like 30 years older than you, that's your maximum, and the people 30 years below you. So, you know, that's the kind of, if you're in the middle, you, you can relate to people that is your parents' generation. You relate to people in your children's generation. So that's about the people's, you know, social adaptability, okay? So in the seminary, they were saying that a good youth pastor become a great senior pastor because the, the youth, the junior high school, high schoolers, they served in during the seminary as a youth pastor usually become their congregation later when they become, you know, adult. Now, I want to speak a little bit about age because I'm somehow become a sensitive about age. Sometimes when our church people say, we forest is between 20 to 60, they stop 60. I don't know why. You know, they stop 60. And they all look at me, you know. So I want to be clear, clear on this. I want to give you a theological perspective on age. Nobody knows how old you are. That's my statement. You know why? Your age doesn't tell you really how old you are. Because suppose that you are late 30s. I'm sorry, whoever. You are late 30s. But you live only 10 years. Then you are not that young. You have only 10 years to live. But you are 55. 
I know someone is turning 55 this Friday because he was announcing it. So you are 55, but if you live, you know, like your parents, at least, you know, 40 years, you know, his parents is away into, you know, it's healthy. You are not old at all. You're young. You know what I'm saying? Nobody knows when you're going to die. Because you don't know when you die or how long you're going to live. Your age is a very relative thing. But most important thing is while you have a life, you need to reach out to the generation, your own generation, that is that you can really uh, make an impact. Why is it so important that David served his own generation? We cannot reach the next generation without skipping this generation. Each generation needs to be reached out so that next generation can be prepared. And this, this is why some of us are here. Even though when they joined the forest, you know, they didn't join for themselves but for their children, for next generation. I know several of you joined this church for that reason. And uh, I really share the same sentiment. I'm doing this not just for myself, but much more my children, I mean, next generation and young adult people. David Livingstone once said, this generation can only reach the this generation. Keith Green also said, this generation of Christian is responsible, the generation of the souls, the generation of this generation of souls on the earth. So, let us reach out to our generation. Because in America, the vision of church is far more cultural than biblical. A lot of so-called growing churches in America, what they call a mega church, the conversion rate is really low. They don't really preach the gospel. They're more like a service to people. Very efficient. It's like an American you know, a corporation. Very efficient. Everything is efficient. One hour service. I've been to some, some of the mega churches. I visited several mega churches. I know how efficient they are. You know, worship team is like a professional pastor, exactly 25 minutes, 30 minutes, incredible good sermon. But the small group attendance is less than 10%. Bible study is less than 10%. That's not how church grows, and the people become spiritually healthy. Let me close today's message, our anniversary sermon, with the two emails that I just received the last 12 hours. So yesterday after I came back from the wedding, uh, wedding celebration, I received the first email from, uh, actually, I'm going okay, to go to the email that I received at 4 o'clock this morning. So our uh, mission, uh, missionary partner in Batumi, that is uh, a city in the Republic of Georgia, Tim Stone and Sarah Stone, uh, Tim sent me this uh, picture. Did you guys, I forwarded the email. Did you receive Batumi? Where's the Batumi people? Where's the Batumi people? Okay. Okay. Where's the rest of the shepherd and co-shepherd? Anyway, I know where that. That's okay. And uh, Tim, uh, Tim and uh, 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 Sarah, they've been serving uh, deaf people in, in Turkey for a long time. 
until recently, it becomes too dangerous, so they have to move to Batumi, border city between Turkey and Republic of Georgia. And their old church has some issues, and urgently asked them to come, and when Tim went there, Somebody, the guy on the left on the suit, he came to that place to kill Tim. He is a member of a Turkish nationalist Muslim group that he came to kill Tim with a gun, but he saw Tim's you know, a son there, and he felt bad about killing a father in front of a son, so he just postponed. And then while he delayed assassination, he went to so-called hero. That is a guy next to him. Why is he a hero? The guy next to him, he owns this self-defense martial art kind of place. His son was recruited by the same organization and killed Tim Stone's German missionary friend a few years ago as a result that he is in prison. So he went to so-called, uh, you know, this martyr, you know, to martyr's father to get encouragement. And uh, this, you know, father or martial art, you know, uh, center, you know, a director owner told, told him, don't do that. You don't know pain you caused your family and the family of the victim. Don't ever do that. So he changed his mind. And this, you know, martial art, you know, uh, director, he took the picture and sent it to Tim, and if you ever see this guy, run away. And the team sent an you know, email thanking that Forrest is a first line of a prayer support, and uh, God saved me. That was his thank. Next picture. That is the one that I received the last night. This is uh, our mission partner from Venezuela, guy in the middle. It's hard to see the dark shirt, you know, it looks like Asian. That is uh, Gideon Kim. And the woman right below him, little or white face, that is a Shula Kim. They're the mission couple. They just, you know, he's doing a monthly report. Oh, those of you, the uh, yeah, uh, blue shirts in the back, that's the Elias. Uh, Elias is the, uh, yeah, anyway, Elias is one of the house church, you know, mission partner. And uh, Gideon Kim, he said that he is really grateful because if you see a far in the middle, in the far, uh, I'm sorry, this side left, they see the, someone like this, girl like this, that's their daughter, Yerim. And she decided to go to Venezuelan University instead of American college. And the pastor, you know, I mean, missionary Gideon said, he is so grateful. His daughter chose Venezuelan University. Instead of going to safer, you know, wealthier countries' university, she's staying in Venezuela. That means she will eventually join their ministry. And he is so grateful for that. You know, when I received these two emails within a period of 12 hours, I realized how hard our missionary partners working to reach out lost souls in their generation, in their place. How about us? Forests. Are we serving purpose of God in our generation? You know, in Dallas, there are so many churches. We don't have to exist. People can, you know, actually, if you're a newcomer, there are many churches. You know, there are many good churches. Forest, 
we have this distinct mission. We want to be good sheep to Jesus. We want to be good, healthy sheep to Jesus by participating in our house church and then taking, you know, a, a Cornerstone Bible study, Livingstone Bible study, Good Shepherd College, and take a discipleship seriously, and then become a shepherd to our lost friends, BIPs. That is our mission. And when we do this, we know God will remember us, just as remember David. Let's pray.